You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Roberto. How does it feel to say that? We're getting used to it. Everybody's getting used to it. It's, uh, it feels great. Yeah. Um, I've had to correct myself a few times in conversations with my partner and, um, and he corrects me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like you're cute. (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) but no, it feels, it feels good. But yes, I am. It is definitely a, a, a practice thing for me. Some people anglicize it and call me Robert. Oh. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It's not my name. Right. So I say, actually, it's Roberto. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I anglicized it. And it's white people doing this, right? Um, right. But I did my first talk this past weekend at Theology Beer Camp in my fuller embodiment. And everyone was very excited to see me. And trip at the end of theology beer camp we were at gizmo's bar which is where i texted you saying yes. that i was watching football <laughs> yes the duke and the unc chapel hill game and trip said to me listen i'm not saying this because i'm one of your best friends but i just want you to know that that was badass today you really owned it and i thought oh that's interesting and he was like you know the fact that you took time out to write out your talk in such a poetic fashion and that you let the pauses just be pauses and you really came strong. And I was like, Oh, like what was it before? Hmm. So, you know, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there will be multiple folds to this for everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so we joke, we, we love Tripp and his community yeah. um, at Theology Beer Camp, and we lovingly call them the Theo Bros. Yep. And you often talk about how the Theo Bros love you. Yep. Um, always have, even before this, you know, this new un, unflourishing of, of, of your, you know, your evolution and your change. And, um, and so I joked when you said, guess where I am and what I'm doing. And you're like, I'm drinking beer in a bar watching football. And I was like, oh, dear God, you have become a Theobro. You, <laughs> yeah. you are not just hanging out with them. You have become one. But I have to wonder how much I have to wonder if there was trepidation on the part of a lot of those humans um, prior to this fold of of becoming um because that in-betweenness mm-hmm. that you know naplanta is not comfortable for everybody yeah and so um 
it, I'll be curious to see how it, how things transition. Yeah. Who knows whether he said that because you really owned it or because he's, you know, he's just talking to you differently because you're a Theo bro now, like a right. legit Theo bro. Right. So, so like, so like I said this to Ben actually yesterday, I had coffee with Ben and I was like, is this like a layer of misogyny that, that people were internalizing? And now that I'm self-identifying as a still non-binary trans guy. Understood. Yeah. Uh, has the misogyny like evaporated immediately? You know, like it's really interesting to think about, but um and Ben thought that was very interesting too, and wondered also where where did the misogyny go? Yeah, that is interesting. I and also it could have been radically innocent and Right, yeah. It just like this talk hit him differently than other talks that you have given hit him and right. he just wanted to name it. Right. And there and there literally could be nothing behind the right. veil. <laughs> right. Right. But I, I mean, you know, yeah, you are gonna hear and see things um with a you know, with a newer, more probably more heightened lens as you're, you know, in this in this um piece of your becoming. Right. So. Now Sarah Heath, we are friends with Sarah Heath. Yeah. We've been on her podcast before. Yeah. Sarah Heath said, listen, I mean no offense by this, but I just didn't really feel like Robin fit. I, I knew a lot of white Canadian um, Robin male people, and maybe it's because they were all toxic that I didn't feel like Robin fit, but I really feel that Roberto fits. And she was like correcting people, and and m mostly everyone called me by my name. Right. And for a lot of people uh, – they were meeting me for the first time. So it wasn't a big deal to, sure. to introduce as Roberto, but I found myself on Wednesday night when we went to Al's burger shag. Normally I say I used to spell my name because people would misspell it. Mm -hmm. And I found myself, they said, okay, what's your name? And I said, Roberto R O B E R T O. She's like, yeah, I got it. And I was like, Oh, I no longer have to spell my name anymore. Right. So the, so I'm also getting used to this. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think my challenge, my my predominant challenge with this shift has been when I put doctor in front of your name. Mm -hmm. Because there's a rote, like there's just this muscle memory in my brain yep. that, you know, the doctor preceded your former name. And it just like it just rolls out of my of my mouth right. like it is just a, an ev like an everydayness and yep. so um, I am finding that when I am um, speaking to you or about you um, and not you know not naming you as doctor mm -hmm. that it's much easier for me uh, so yeah. Um, yeah but yeah I'm I mean I'm getting used to it and um, I mean I'm. I am enjoying watching. Uh, I, I mean, we announced everything last week. Um, that podcast dropped, and we, you know, talked about um, your coming out and the video that you made, and everyone well, not, just, not just my coming out. I know our coming out. Yeah, um, but I was specifically talking about kind of the transition that we put in place to um, kind of make sure that everywhere online had your yeah. new name, that we were very methodical about it. And like, it's been nice to see 
such a warm um, and kind of positive feedback loop coming your way. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's just nice. It's, it's, it isn't always something we expect right, when we put right. ourselves into the world. And so it was really beautiful for me to kind of watch from a, from the, like from a, a little perch to kind yeah. of see everybody giving you, giving you props and. Well, and, and I saw Kevin Garcia. And, I saw yeah. Kevin Garcia and they were very excited. You know, they're like, yeah. this is so exciting. I love it. And Trip was like, I think we should call you D-Rob. And I was like, that feels very bro-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, uh, I don't I know. I mean, you are, you are going to gain nicknames that you right. have both consented to and that you haven't. Right, right. Kind of like She-Hulk. <laughs> kind of like this. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you'll have to decide which ones you allow to stick and which ones you don't. Right, right. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what my nickname is going to be for you yeah. because I do. I want I now that now that you have um, you are embodying this this new name. I yeah, I want to I want to come up with something clever that I can call you that only I get to call you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but with consent, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, so you're good. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, it is frigidly yeah, cold here. Here too. Um, 51 degrees. I, oh, like it was, it was like 36 this morning here Mm. and, um, it's just a cold front moving through. It's going to be warm again this weekend. Um, but you know, everybody's freaking out. Everybody's like, you know, turn the heat on, get the sweaters out. I'm like, just simmer down. Like just put a sweatshirt on for two days. You'll be fine. I mean, (laughs) you can, you can see that I'm in clothes and Normally, I'm in my t-shirt. I know, I know, and I and I am in and I am in my I am in a sports bra because I have been printing in my studio and it's been hot. So, um, just because the the room that I was in was was warm, but yeah, I mean, I had to bundle up to go outside this morning, and um, I mean, even Ruthie walked outside and was like, "Whoa, well, what what is this, Mama? Like this is (laughs) colder than normal." Yeah. Yeah, I had to I had to turn up the heat a little bit, and I actually had to put on clothes. Normally, I uh, work and record in my tank and underwear, but I had to put on a pair of pants and my my this little overcoat mm-hmm. um, and turn up the heat to seventy two because I don't <laughs> I don't like it cold. I, I know you don't. That Chicago those Chicago winters tore me up when I was there. Yeah, but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing all right. Otherwise, I have. Um, an exciting weekend planned with um, one of my best friends. We're going to a music festival and I'm really excited about that. And um, I love a road trip. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I love to drive. I love the like openness of the road and the destination anticipation. And where are you going? We're going to Florida. Cool. So cool. Um, is it going to be warm there? It is. Good. It is. Yeah. But is the water going to be warm enough to get in? Uh, we aren't going to be at a beach side. We're going to be pool side. Ah. So um, we'll be at a heated pool Oh, um, in a, in a hotel. And that's cool. Yeah. And part of the festival will take pay- place like on the pool deck there oh. at the hotel. So we'll literally just be able to like sit in the pool and uh, drink our bourbon and smoke and listen to music and live our best Live our best like music festival. Cool. 
very drinking cool. drinking stoner lives. Very cool. <laughs> so, very cool. Yeah, very I'm cool. really really excited. So very cool. So I I met people who listened to our podcast this weekend. You were telling me that it's yeah. such a wonderful thing to like hear that affirmation. I mean, I have told stories about how I've been walking through the grocery store, or you know walking uh, any variety of places where people are like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're Reverend Anna. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So, um, so what, what was the sentiment? What was the, I mean, were they giving us good kudos or bad kudos? People are like, uh, you know, I found your podcast and I'm a creature of habit. So I went back to the very first season and I am listening to every episode and now I'm caught up and, um, and I really like what you're doing. This was a guy from Mississippi. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we could come down and do some activist theology in Mississippi, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. And and then he wanted to know, he's a pastor of a church, and he wanted to know what kind of things can he be doing that would, uh, like, put in place activist theology. Mm. And I thought that was a great question and something that, I don't know, maybe we need to come up with a resource and put it online. Things that you can do in your community that are, that are rooted in activist theology. Um, And in your congregations. I mean, he has a very particular context and not that he isn't also a community member, but I think, and we're going to kind of get into this, you know, based on the the topic that we chose today, but there is such a historic, um, and systemic trajectory that the church has taken when it comes to wronging and harming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is really difficult to unknit and undo. Mm -hmm. And so that the context of being curious about activist theology um, is one that can and should take place in our communities. And we yep. should be kind of living our everyday lives from that perspective and that yep. that observation curiosity. And also, he has a very specific megaphone by which he can inform and teach and spark in his congregation. Yep. The, the, the possibility of what it might look like to be a congregation that is much more about liberation and yep. justice and activism and a theological bend towards that than it is as it always historically has mm-hmm. been. Yep. And so that's, yep. um, I love that. I love that. I love that he's curious about it. I love that he's, um, I love that he's from a part of the country that, you know, is, is struggling in a yep. lot of ways to, you know, I mean, Mississippi, Jeez, That's I mean, no joke you know, there. I mean, water crisis, yep. Brett Favre, Deion Sanders. Um, do you know who those two people are? Yes, they are okay. football players. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm not well, that. I mean, I just- Look, I I grew up in football country. Look, I come from a state where football is religion. I know you did, but you also intentionally don't sport. And so I... That's true. And so I, you know, I just, I just want to make sure that I'm not talking about things you don't understand. I mean, when you talk about things I don't understand all the time and my eyes glaze over and I'll wave my hand like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I am so lost. Right. You, you are just wanting me to feel included in the conversation. I do. And I want you to know that, you know, when I'm talking about Deion Sanders, I'm talking about Jackson State. And when I'm talking about Brett Favre, I'm talking about 
him being a thief. And, yeah. you know, you, of course, know about the yeah. water crisis. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, a couple weeks ago, my partner came home and said, do you know that Rachel Maddow has a new podcast? And I said, yes. And she says, have you listened to it? And I said, not yet. And so I listened to it yesterday and I thought of you because I was like, I bet Anna has already listened to this. And I am really curious about pulling on some of the threads Mm -hmm. that she talked about. And if you aren't familiar with the podcast, Rachel Maddow has launched this new podcast called Ultra. And the first two episodes are really about the roots of fascism in the 1940s. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really. It's like a true crime. It it is a true crime. And she's, she's an amazing storyteller. And so if you, if you listen to Bagman, which is, um, was, you know, her first podcast, I mean, it was a, it was the story of um, Spiro Agnew and um, you know, all of the, crap that he was involved in and um and and she is she is a storyteller's storyteller like she just really knows how to craft a story and yet this podcast this new podcast of hers is a really simple illustration of how close this country has come on more than one occasion to having an over to having our government overthrown Mm -hmm. i mean we we you you say often, Roberto, that we have no historical memory. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we have lived the last several years thinking, rightfully so, like how dangerous what happened on January 6th was and how problematic it is that the secretaries of state in, you know, certain states in the country could become, you know, uh, could vote in, you know, folks that would really make election results problematic. Right. Like that. But we spent the last few years thinking that like, gosh, like this is, this has never happened. We've like, this is like, these are unprecedented times. Right. And that's actually not the case. Right. That's not the case. Um, And that's what this, this new podcast illustrates. And so we wanted to chat about it. Um, And, you know, and I think that to my, previous comment, you know, there is a, there is a thread of, um, of problematic faith and, you know, the engagement of the church in, in this, in this story. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about it. One of the things that I've been thinking about are the things that have shaped my theology, and I don't know if you ever sort of take stock mm-hmm. of the things that shape your theology. But as I was writing this talk for Theology Beer Camp, it occurred to me that white supremacy has been the number one thing that has shaped my theology. And and I go back to like when I was in college and the fundamentalist takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention and Southern mm-hmm. Baptist Seminaries that um, – that kind of white hetero patriarchy and supremacy culture that has really been a thing that has shaped my theology. 
um, and and to recognize that white heteropatriarchy is also part of fascism that you really come to see how Christianity, at least in this country and maybe also in Germany, is a kind of empire religion. Right. And so as I was writing my talk around becoming his praxis, um, it occurred to me like that that is a really strong theme in in the whole of my work. Whiteness, supremacy culture, Christofascism, those three things have really shaped my theology. And as I was listening to the two episodes, there's only been two episodes released thus far, um, I'm like, yeah, we think it is Islam that is the violent uh-huh. religion. Uh-huh. We know that Islam actually means peace uh-huh. in Arabic. And sure, there are people who are violent, who embody an Islamic religion, but that is not the whole of the tradition in the same way that violence along the extreme right who call themselves Christians, that is also not the entirety of Christianity. But we do see in this podcast how complicit the church is right in empire religion right um so a, cu- a couple of things are coming to mind and i i want to f- i want to just briefly pull on the thread of um of islam that you that you noted um i i'm reminded when you say that i'm reminded of there was a there was a point in president obama's term that he was at um, at a site near Ground Zero in New York City. Right. And there was a lot of controversy around the building of an Islamic center that was planned for that area. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, many folks in in New York were up in arms about an Islamic center being planned that close to right. the place of disrupt disrupt. Dis- Um, And Obama said, this is America and our commitment to religious freedom must be unshakable. Mm -hmm. The principle that people of all faiths are welcome in this country and that they will be treated differently and they will not be treated differently by their government is essential to who we are. And and while he's an amazing orator. And, and I and I wholly agree with him. Um, that's just not true. Right. Um, the fact that we state both in our governing documents, Constitution, Bill of Rights, um, that we state in our state laws and bylaws and constitutions that we are a country of religious freedom is it's it's just dialogue it's right. just it's just empty hollow dialogue because it isn't the case i would say it's empty rhetoric fair yes because dialogue yeah. assumes that a you're talking yeah right um there's 
you know, we have historically from, from the very beginning, I mean, we have this, you know, storybook version of how, you know, the, the pilgrims came to America and in search of religious freedom. And then the Puritans followed and, you know, they, they kind of built this, you know, shining city on a hill and, um, and all of that is myth. All of that is, is a very, kind of easy way for us to tidy up the dirtiness yep. of really what what happened when we stole this land, murdered Native people, um, had extremely bloody results from every kind of faith-based, you know, encounter that yep. people were having yep. in, in this new land, which was never new. It was right. new to them. Right. And, and I, I just, I'm, it's like all of that to say, like we, we, we have built this country on the foundation of a lie mm-hmm. around our, the, the concept of religious freedom and, our commitment to enabling everyone to have the same kinds of freedoms that others do. Right. So that that's the one thing I wanted to talk about. The other thing is, as you were talking about the way that we have conscripted Christianity specifically into a, a faith that is largely based on, um, empire religion that is based on this understanding of hierarchy and, and exceptional white exceptionalism and, and all the things Mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to see how that wouldn't have happened. Right. Because I look at our biblical teachings and although Jesus flipped the script in so many ways during the, you know, the, the short, um, kind of books that he was physically a part of in our in our biblical teaching, the entire rest of our biblical teaching is centered around empire politics and the the ruling class having dominion over others. Right. I mean, we we have such. I mean, for the for this book that we use to guide the large portion of our, our Christian faith, um, we, we have such little example in it of actual, like, real-life experience that isn't dominated by imperialism. Right. I mean, everything in the book speaks to what imperialism looks like, and it's not, it, it doesn't surprise me that we echoed that. That our that our founding that that we echoed it in in Europe and then mm-hmm. the Europeans echoed it in in their coming to the United States that that we echoed it in the building of our of our governing documents mm-hmm. when we formed this country that we then echoed it in the building of our of our state constitutions I mean everything that we have as a foundation for our religious understanding of systems is built on an empirical structure that the Bible has guided us into thinking is the way and the truth and the light. Mm -hmm. And so it it doesn't surprise me that we are in this situation. And yet 
you know, we have, you know, like my, my goal is to in, in most ways that I can fully represent the single human in all of those books and our biblical texts that was only present for, you know, physically present for a handful of moments. Yeah. And, and, and talk more about the overthrowing of empire mm-hmm. than I talk about the reinforcement of empire. Yeah, it you know, I've been thinking a lot about the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John's vision was literally watching the Roman Empire fall apart. And I wonder, has anyone ever done any kind of compare and contrast to the Judaism of Jesus and and the subverting empire and John's vision as he's watching from an island, mm. the you know on Patmos, yeah. the, the the destruction of the Roman Empire, and 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 if so. Why do we have the empire religion that we have? Partially because we've taken Paul and not read him as a Jewish person and instead made him into the prime example of what a Christian is, which is how we get the heteropatriarchy bullshit. And I just wonder, like, what happens if we reread the book of Revelation and take seriously John's vision and – the Jewishness of Jesus in subverting empire and outfoxing empire. What happens to Christianity then? Do do we get something more true, good, and beautiful? And how do we encourage those that are teaching, whether it is from a pulpit or in a Sunday school or in a seminary? And I, I think seminaries are probably the one place that it is happening to recognize that revelation is not the end of the story. Right. That there is so much more to come and, and, and the writings continue in a, a, an enlightening way. Yeah. Um, after, I mean, we, we, we have this, we have this finite vision um, of what, of, of the structure of Christianity that we are supposed to be about and that we were supposed to follow. Yeah. And yet and yet to your point, you know, John watches the the destruction of the empire and then some people know what the and then is. Right. But I would venture to say that the vast majority of folks that are showing up at church on Sunday morning or who are claiming their the the knowledge of their their biblical understanding have yeah. have absolutely no idea what happens next. I think it's the majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like is it is it rare or is it something that we should not expect? I mean, I feel like we've I feel like we've set ourselves up in the mm-hmm. same way that we did not you know, did not accurately teach our children. And I mean, I, I am one of those children, you know, we did not accurately teach children the history of the slave trade and a, a, a true and realistic understanding of what slavery was built on and what it did to this country and how it destroyed so many tenants of, 
our the civic value that we were taught mm-hmm. growing up, we have done a disservice in highlighting and putting emphasis on the empirical nature of our belonging as Christians. Right. And not on the harm that it has caused yep. and the ways that it can and should be different. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you know, as I, as we both continue to reflect, we've got ourselves into a quandary politically and religiously. I mean, the ultra podcast that Rachel Maddow is, has just launched, it shows how a Roman Catholic priest basically mobilized Christian fascism with war weapons. And, and, you know, we need to think quite seriously about Christian hegemony and Christian supremacy and, You know, the Great Commission is often understood as a colonial project. And so, what do we do with that, given how it has impacted our democracy? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, I, I am, I am, I am feeling very stuck today specifically, but in general, on how we can really disentangle the Christo-fascism that we are seeing kind of permeate both into our our policy and our polity and the, the, the results of that um, and and our attempt to live a, an anti-fascist existence. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know how to disentangle. I don't know how we start because, like racism, it is embedded in every single right piece of our history. I mean, there, there are, there are very few parts of who we are that do not have the fingerprint right. of white Christo-fascism right. on them. Right. Um, regardless of whether we are Muslim Americans or uh, Korean Americans or Buddhist Americans or, um, you know, I mean, um, Latino Americans, it doesn't right. matter what, what our culture is or what our faith is. Right. We are fingerprinted by it's in the DNA. It is in the DNA. And how do you disentangle that? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that it is the kind of approach that we take when we are trying to rid disease from the body. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, chemotherapy has to target a very specific location for it to then trickle down to the other locations that are affected. Right. Um, or in some instances, there has to be a full transfusion right. of the blood that is in one's body to rid yourself of the infection that is in the blood that right now circulates. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, at what level are we willing to operate? Mm-hmm. At what level are we willing to get our hands dirty and actually seek and and force the the operation, the the procedure right. on this land in order for us to rid ourselves mm-hmm. of the disease? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know I don't know who has the energy or the solution for that. Yeah. Um and so today I you know, I'm frustrated by it. And also intrigued by, you know, what Rachel Maddow is telling us about how these kinds of things have already that 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 we have so when when Rachel was asked how did we get out of the situation that she describes in this new podcast. Someone, a journalist said to her, how, like, how did it get fixed? How did we get out of it? And she said, exposure. Mm -hmm. That it was in the exposing of the harm that was being done. It was in the, in some cases, embarrassment of the humans that were part of it. In some cases, the disclosure of things that were happening within the government and within the church and within cities. Yep. It was it was that that made the situation in the 40s go away. Yep. Um, I have to think that right now, even if the select committee does not get an indictment of Donald Trump or any of his co-conspirators in the January 6th riot, that the exposure that they have given to how this could have happened and how they got away with it and what happened to, to get us to that point has at least given us a playbook mm-hmm. for watching out for the, the beginnings of something like this to happen again. Okay, so let me let me counter that with a question. Please. Don't make me answer the question, just counter me. <laughs> counter me with it. Well, I want to have a co- I want to have a conversation about the question. Um so I think you're right that the January 6th hearing led by Republican Liz Cheney is a step of exposure. Yes. But what we have now are extreme right-wing people, mostly men, but there are some women, who are building groundwork in different states. And and, uh, advancing or encouraging policies that will take the state to a more extreme right or perspective political agenda. So what happens when you have the majority of statehoods espousing an extreme right-wing agenda? I mean, You've got people who are calling for a constitutional rewriting. And there are 20-something states that have 
signed up and like who's going to govern that right so so on the one hand at the federal level you have this january 6th hearing exposing the neo-fascist bullshit at a different level you have states like tennessee georgia even mississippi florida arizona countless other states who are building a case for fascism. So what do we do with that? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have an answer to that question, but what I will say is that, um, I am both. So I, I do worry that our, so I, I think it will come down to the courts. Mm-hmm. So that that is that is my but that is my court? initial because answer. We know that exactly. the Supreme Court is compromised. I mean, the Supreme Court is compromised, and also there is bullshit that they are not willing to entertain. Yeah, I mean, just this week, Trump's lawyers came back with another right. request for them to, you know. Stop the seize of documents from Mar-a-Lago. And not only did the Supreme Court unanimously vote to not listen to that argument, but not a single person wrote a dissent on it. Mm-hmm. So even yahoos like Clarence Thomas and Alito are not even entertaining or, or using their labor on the nonsense. I don't think that every state will have the capacity to do this kind of fascist work with the with the the methodology that allows them to get away with it. I think that I think that the majority of them are thinking that certain individuals in certain voted positions will be all that it will take for them mm-hmm. to accomplish what they want to accomplish. I do believe, I mean, there. maybe this is a little Pollyanna-ish of me, but I do believe that in many instances, our courts will hold. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our state judiciary and our federal di- judiciary and our Supreme Court, there, will, there may be things that they get away with. But I have to think that from an overarching level of people being willing to get away with the the stealing yep. of votes, the fabrication of election results without documentation or without the kind of due diligence that actually uh, that a court would require of them yep. to prove it. I do think that it, that it is going to be hard for many of them to get away with the things that they think they will be able to get away with if they just have a different attorney general in their state house. I also think that we are going to see the continuation of this cycle of the fight, mm-hmm. of the argument, of the the negotiation of our values play out for 8 to 10 maybe longer years mm-hmm. because the repercussions of what Donald Trump's presidency did to our our court systems, to the balance of the Supreme Court, to the way that 
uh, judges were appointed on the federal bench to the arrogance of state officials. All of those things have ripple effects that are, are going to take a really long time to come back around. Yeah. Like we can't get, we can't undo everything that happened in four years. Yeah. In this, in, in the same amount of time that it happened in. I mean, you know, I, I always joke that I don't understand why I can't lose this extra 50 pounds in 50 days. Right. Well, I sure shit didn't put it on in 50 days. Right. So right. I don't know what in my head makes me think I can lose it in 50 days, yeah. but you know, I am delusional that way. Well, yeah. Um, and so, but I think, I mean, I, none of that is an answer mm-hmm. and, and all of it is just literal my perspective on and, and my hope for what we will see transpire and, and manifest. But I, I mean, what about you? What do you, what do you think is, are you much less optimistic than I am? Yeah. I'm much okay. less optimistic. Yeah. P- part, part, part of that, uh, part of that, um, lack of optimism is the right has so much money and so much yeah. of a consolidation of power that, you know, like we've said on this podcast before, well-intentioned white folks aren't doing a damn thing and there's no resistance to what is being built. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I worry that state houses will be compromised that legislation will succeed. I think this thing around trans kids as the newest political ploy will just uh, evolve into all trans people. Yeah, I don't, I I agree. I mean, that, that is a very, that, I mean, it is something that scares me on a daily basis. Um, I mean, there's a reason why I don't go out by myself at night unless I'm with someone. I just don't trust the environment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I am very willing to be wrong about this. I, yeah, I'm willing to be wrong, too. I just I guess I have seen the rise of this since I lived in Texas and and I see how people are able to consolidate power with money. And then when you add in religion, it just is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think that, I think that, you know, what this podcast of Rachel Maddow's is showing us is that we are, um, we, we have, we have seen this before. Um, we have thwarted it before, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't in any way guarantee our ability to thwart it again. Um, but I do think that um, it is incumbent on people telling this story, yeah. um, telling the current story, telling the stories of years past to help everyone understand that um, our collective survival is built on our ability to fight this fight. Right. There is nothing else that will allow us to to live and to live freely. I mean, this is why I talk about ethical futures, because if we don't 
talk about the presence relative to what we want, I don't think we'll ever get out from under these really burgeoning folds of fascism. Right. And it's difficult because we want to be, you know, I want to be someone who is working in the world every single day towards the possibility right. towards the possibilities of liberative futures. I right. want, I want to be someone who is doing the work of imagination, not doing the work of counteracting harm. Right. And yet we have to have a multiplicity of tactics. Yep. We have to be people who are able to both walk towards possibility while swinging a sword right. against fascism and the harm that is being done currently. And I think that um, it it is difficult to be, to multitask in that way um, because we are not people who sit in that discomfort. Well, right. We, we, we aren't, we either want to imagine and to strive and to move towards the goodness, or we want to immerse ourselves in the fight. Um, to simply stave off what is currently happening, not to kind of allow us to imagine and create a possible future right. down the road. Right. Um, and yet we have to be those people. We have to be people who are, who are walking towards possibility and swinging a sword. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to be. And, and I, f- I find that, you know, May of 2020, when George Floyd was killed, all the white people ran out to read books. And now we need people to not only read books, but have an embodied awareness, resist the fascism, swing a sword. Uh, you know, we need the movable middle to get their hands dirty. And not just read books. Right. We need them to give a shit. Yeah. And it's very difficult to give a shit when you're comfortable. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's in the discomfort. I mean, you know, the number of, the number of women who were infuriated after the Dobbs decision, but have now started to rethink their midterm vote because the economy is more on their minds than their uterus is. Right. Um, it, you know, it, it's, <clears throat> it's problematic. Yeah. I mean, all of those things are intertwined and, you know, one should not simply go to the, bo- to the ballot box because of Dobbs and one should not simply go to the ballot box because of the economy, but it, it's very difficult to compel people who are not in the midst of real time crises over having an unwanted pregnancy to compel them to think about something other than themselves. Right. Right. So lots of work. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we have only scratched the surface on this conversation. We will both tell you that if you have not started listening to this podcast, um, you you should do so. And the, um, and the episodes are short, 30 minutes. They are. They are. Um, again, it's called Ultra. 
Um, it's Rachel Maddow's uh, new podcast. And yeah, you can get through, you can, I mean, you could get through, I think, see, I think episode three drops today. Oh, okay. Um, but you can get through it. I mean, you could spend two hours in the car and yep. be completely caught up. Yeah. Not even that. So um, do listen. It's, it's a really, it's a great, um, it's a primer for this conversation that you and I are having. Yeah. Um, but it also is um, an illustration of how we have, we have managed this kind of mischief in the past. And we've compromised religion continually. Correct. Correct. In every way. With, with, with no, I mean, with no regrets. Yes. Which is scary to me. Right. Well, there you have it. There you go. Friends, uh, we will see you next week. Um, we'll be back again with another episode next week. We're going to finish out this year strong and you're going to hear from us a lot. So get used to it. Yes. Um, don't forget to follow us on all the socials, all every single one of them at of Activist them. Theology. Um, do join us on the app. Uh, you can join the app by going to atporch.com. That's A for activist, T for theology, porch.com. Come and sit on the porch with us. Have a bourbon, have an iced tea, have a water if yep. that's what you want. You know what? Don't drink anything. Yep. You can do whatever you want. Um, but come hang out with us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you want us to talk about, what you, what resonates with you, what you disagree with us on. Um, let us know. Tweet at us. And until next week, Roberto. I can't roll my R's, but that's okay. Like I'm getting, I'm getting there. That's okay. Here's the ethical features. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Oh, my boss might pay me. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.